know how a man cannot recognize someone he spent time with three hours earlier. Take it from a guy who knows. Some people look different laying down than they do sitting up. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now, this is going to take several years, as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are and even if you have some trivia to disclose. Our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com and we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's get started. But David thinks that he might make good on his threat and that they need to look after the wife's body. We need to look after her now. But anyway... They arrive at the morgue and he says Club Med for the Dead. So the coroner walks in and Maddie asks the most silly question. When you sent him to the mortuary, was he dead? (laughs) That's Dr. Neely that they're talking to. And he's a real asshole too, isn't he? Sarcastic doctor, I put. Yeah, he goes. Was he dead? No. He just checked in, had his chest cracked open, his lungs drained, his brain weighed, and his stomach emptied onto a table. After that, he walked out of here and caught a bus. Hell yes, he was dead. Which is true. If you're a coroner and somebody walks in and says, oh, was he really dead? I know. Yes, but he also says the stupid jackass drowned. Yeah, that's when he's reading the report. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a bit harsh with everything, I'd say. I just noted, I don't know why I noted it. When they walk from the main corner part into Dr. Neely's office, the way that Bruce slash David is walking at the moment He looks so much like Zach in the dream sequence when he comes up, you know, and he's about to kill Rita's husband in the second part in Sybil's dream. Like how he walks, he looks like really dejected or something. It's, he looks very Zach to me. The same stride, are you saying? Kind of, yeah, the same demeanor and the same stride. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. The coroner says the guy drowned and then he says he's got to go because couldn't quite catch what he said. So I had to put the subtitles on the DVD and he says a rotor tore loose from a helicopter at the airport this morning. But anyway, that's what he said. So that sounds pretty nasty. Um, Just quickly, the coroner is J.A. Preston. His career began in 1969, but I know him as Aussie Cleveland in Hill Street Blues. Mm Mm-hmm. And he did so many television series, just trying to pick out the main ones. He did 13 episodes of Hill Street Blues. He did nine episodes of Dallas. He was in Santa Barbara for a little while. Oh, yeah. He was the White House general in Air Force One. 
He was in a TV miniseries called House of Frankenstein in 97, but the last thing he did was 2006. Yeah, so it looks like he's retired now, J.A. Preston. So that's when David realises that they've been looking for the wrong thing. They've been looking for a man named Kandinsky. Maddie doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. So they go up to this guy who's cast as the assistant coroner, Barry Cutler. Yeah. But he looks like an orderly. He doesn't look like an assistant coroner, don't you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> I definitely thought he was an orderly or, yeah, someone cleaning up or an assistant. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I wouldn't think that he was a coroner. Yeah, he's kind of sketchy looking. So David asks him to see any John Doe bodies that have come in in the last 12 hours, and the guy says two. So they go over to the drawers and they uncover the body and it's Carolyn Kandinsky. Yes. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. The plot thickens. The plot definitely thickens. You know, of course, we're wondering, like, now some time has passed because Maddie and David did say that they were running all over town. Uh, you know, my first thought is always like, well, this lady's pretty well known. She's been in the paper. Why would she be a Jane Doe? You know, that's true. But later it's kind of explained. Yeah. So the next scene, we have another car scene, but it's a very, very quick car scene because it only goes for about 22 seconds. <laughs> in this discussion, we get informed that she went down a cliff while intoxicated and yeah. David said she's lucky she didn't take someone else down that cliff with her because he thinks that, you know, she obviously was an alcoholic or something. Yeah. But Maddie doesn't think she's the type to do that. There's something not right here. Yes, Maddie thinks something is askew. We're back at Blue Moon, and I've put here in brackets first, why have they come back to Blue Moon? (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't they go home? Well, that's what David wants to do at Maddie. Thinks they they should keep working on the case and trying to figure it out because that's exactly what David's saying. Like, I just want to bed. This is what I'm saying. Like, Maddie says she's disappointed about how the direction her life has gone, but she loves being a detective. She is more excited about working this case than David is. We have our first door slam here too. She slams the door shut when they walk in. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. She's trying to decipher all that's happened in her head. Both Kandinsky and Carolyn died from drowning within hours of each other. And David is not responding. She's like, are you listening to me? Because he's tired and he's thinking of a bed to sleep in. Mm -hmm. How can you think of sleeping with so many unanswered questions? And David says, the case is closed. That's it. And Maddie disagrees because... She feels that she has to investigate it because it was their client and now she's turned up dead. He only works for live clients, apparently. (laughs) He tries to head off home and she doesn't want him to. So he starts off and he says, Maddie, face it. The great Kandinsky did it. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. He died, came back and took care of the one. That's ridiculous. And so begins the discussion about how the world works and that some things cannot be explained. And Maddie feels that behind every mystery and unexplained phenomenon, there's usually a perfectly logical explanation, like rainbows, yes. Bermuda Triangle, the 69 Mets. Rainbows. Light refracted by moisture. The Bermuda Triangle. A myth and a hoax. The 69 Mets. A, a myth, myth and a hoax. hoax. Now, what are the 69 Mets? Because I didn't look it up. You know what? I didn't look it up either. I should search it now. But, well, it's baseball, obviously. The Mets are a baseball team. But I'm not sure why that would be a myth and a hoax. So um, let's do a little search here. Yeah, I'm going to do one too. New York Mets are the Miracle Mets because after they finished ninth the previous season, they pulled off the greatest miracle in baseball history and won, I guess. Sounds like a team that was really crappy one year and then maybe they just did really well the next 
probably like, how do you explain the same team doing so well the next season, I guess? Yeah. Miracle Mets. Okay. Anyway, let's just say they did crappy one year and really well the next, the same team. Okay. So this whole discussion that started in the car a little bit earlier in the episode is very much showing a difference in their characters, which was very well thought out by Glenn. He's talked about this before, how when he started thinking about Maddie and David and who would be the person to believe in God and who would be the person to not believe in God at first glance, I guess you could say, you would think, oh, Maddie, she's very like pragmatic and all of that stuff. You know, she'd be the believer. She would believe in God. She would believe in that kind of traditional type of thing. And David, he's the anarchist, right? So he would push aside anything like religion. But then when he thought about it, he goes, no, wait a second. David's a romantic. And fundamentally, I guess religion is a bit romantic or, you know, there's some belief there. You have to kind of like trust and, and believe. And he thought, well, maybe Maddie is this, you know, her pragmatism makes her think to herself, that's just it's like Santa Claus or something, a story that you're told. And there's no real science behind it or whatever. So that wouldn't be true. He kind of flipped like what you would think about the characters initially by having David believe in God and religion and Maddie saying, I don't see any proof of that. Mm-hmm. Glenn mentions yeah. it in the interview we did with him that he thought, wouldn't it be interesting to flip that, you know, to make him the one that had that belief system and her be the atheist, which made the episode interesting, really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You would have thought it would have been the opposite way around. You would definitely think it, um, that Maddie grew up like probably this like good little Midwestern girl and believing in God and all that stuff. But if I also remember correctly, Sybil wasn't too happy about that choice of having Maddie be this like atheist. I think in the 80s, that was probably a bit radical, mm. you know, to have this like single businesswoman being also like an atheist, not believing in God. And these are a bit of like, for the time, some big choices that he was making for the characters. Some interesting controversial choices yes in a way and it's funny because it's not something that i would have thought of if i was writing an episode for moonlighting i wouldn't have thought of putting any sort of religious themes because it you wouldn't think it would suit the show but it made for interesting television i thought yeah it's it's interesting and it comes up again in in another episode as well Mm -hmm. so anyway all of these conversations that they're having are just very well-designed conversations to show the difference. You know, David keeps saying like, well, he did it. He pulled off the impossible, you know, he came back from the dead. Like David's buying into it. All things are possible. And, and he said he was going to do it and he did it. And Maddie's like, no, 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 no. Everything can be explained. There's an explanation behind everything in life, really showing the difference in their characters leading up to her, you know, admitting that David says, well, take God. You believe in him. Everybody believes in him. And Maddie just stays silent like, well. (laughs) And we get that cold stare that we get when her husband is murdered in dream sequence, you know, when (laughs) she's happy that Zach has Mm. um, bopped him over the head. So it's it's that same cold stare. That's so funny that we both saw glimpses of dream sequence here. (laughs) Yeah, he acted like Zach when he killed Rita's husband. Yes. And you just said that she acted like Rita after Zach killed her husband. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because not only the expression, but it was the lighting as well. Even though it was more vibrant in dream sequence, yeah, it was that stare to say, no, not everybody believes what you believe. Yeah. Anyway, but David is yeah. shocked. Yes, he is. He's, he's extremely shocked. He is beyond shocked. I think he's mortified. Like, no, 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 don't say that. 
Yeah, he's deeply he's, concerned. Yes, very worried about Maddie. Does he come from a Catholic background, do you think? David? Hmm. Possibly. We never really hear that, but possibly, you know. Well, it looks like a Catholic church in a future episode with his dad, so possibly. Yep. This is where he stops her from completing the sentence that I don't believe in, and he puts his hand over her mouth. And What can I say? I don't believe in... Don't say that! David! You don't have to say that, even if you think it. What do you want to say that for? He might hear you. <laughs> I know, exactly. He's always saying, like, cover your bets. You know, just say you believe in it, just yeah. in case. <laughs> I really like how there's silence there for a while, and he just looks her up and down. He doesn't understand. How did this happen? <laughs> like it's a fl- an affliction or something. Yeah, how did yeah. this happen? I don't have a disease. I have a difference of opinion. He doesn't want to leave her there by herself because he wants to go yeah. home. Yeah. So he goes home. Is he taking the BMW? So how's she getting home? Again. I think he went and took a cab. Do you reckon? Okay. Let's just leave it at that then, shall well, we? Uh, he was worried about leaving her there in general, so I don't think he's going to leave her with no car. All right. So she locks the door and she goes and sits down and gets out the phone book. She's looking for a magic shop. And what a great Uh, name for this character. (laughs) Hey, Cadabra. Abby Cadabra. (laughs) Abby Cadabra. And you know what? This guy, Eddie Quillen, boy, does he go back a long way. Really? Yes. He was um, an artist back in the vaudeville days. Wow. He passed away four years after this episode. He was seven years old and already performing in vaudeville acts with his sister and three brothers in an act called The Rising Generation. And his parents were in it as well. So believe it or not, his career begins in 1926. Oh, my goodness. 1926. You should see all the things he's been in, which obviously we've never heard of. Wow. he was in The Grapes of Wrath in 1940, and, oh, my God, there's so many things. He was in Mr. Ed, Bonanza, Petticoat Junction, The Lucy Show, Perry Mason, The Man from Uncle. He was in The Doris Day Show. The longest stint he had, we had 24 episodes in a TV series called Julia that went from 1968 to 71. He was in Here's Lucy, and he did seven episodes of Little House on the Prairie, but so many other things. This is the highest amount of credits I've seen for an actor since we've started. Wow. He's got 223 actor credits. The last My thing goodness. he did, yeah, and the last thing he did was in 1987, he did an episode of Matlock. So that was the last thing he did. But um, wow, what a, an accomplished actor. He died at the age of 83. God bless him. Am I allowed to say that? God bless him. Yeah. God bless him <laughs> for any God. In this episode, yes. <laughs> It's fitting for this episode. It is fitting. And another outfit change for Maddie. Is it a yellow or a pink? I can't tell what color it is. Yet. I thought it was pink at first, but I thought it was yellow with a long jacket. I've written here a long yellow jacket. Okay. Do you like this scene? I love this scene. It's cute. How's <laughs> his face? How's his face when he turns around and sees it's Maddie standing there? He's like, oh, what a beauty. Aw. I don't know. I don't like this scene. It's a dead zone for me. (laughs) There's only a couple of shots where they're in it together. They're actually all single shots, but um, he comes in and wants to know about the magic trick and, you know, his face lights up. He introduces himself as Abby. Abby Cadabra. What a great name. Fantastic name. Thanks, Glenn. That was great. So Maddie tells him what's happened and he says, Sounds like a one-time only trick. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) 
nothing new in escaping from a box. They've done that before. And if the man wasn't really dead in the first place, and she's saying, well, he was, that's the tricky part. I saw the coroner's report and the man I work with saw the body with his own eyes. He snickers and laughs. And he says, I wish I had a penny for every time I heard that. And the great line he has in this scene is when he says, If people didn't have eyes to be sure with, it wouldn't be so easy to fool them. (laughs) I love it. That's true. That's what magic is based on, I think. But she's adamant. She knows what she saw. And he's like, yeah, sure you did. Then he does the silver ring trick. She's saying, well, you're saying that I was tricked. And then he does the flower behind the ear and... She doesn't believe that she's like, oh, well, slights of hand, false bottoms, shills in the audience. This man was dead. So that's when Abby Kadabra starts talking about a couple of different magicians that died catching rifle bullets in their teeth. He goes on to say that I don't think there's a magician alive who won't admit there's one trick they don't understand. That's why they call it magic. And then the camera is on Maddie and this beautiful sound comes on. It's a different type of music. It's like... um, This beautiful flute comes on, or a piccolo. I don't think there's a magician alive who won't admit there's one trick he doesn't understand. That's why they call it magic. Yeah, it's almost like from the Irish episode from Somewhere Under the Rainbow. It's kind of like that kind of music. They had Mm. a little bit more magical kind of music, a little bit more like fantastical. I thought it was a nice ending to the scene. Yeah. So when I'm normally watching this episode, I don't like this scene. It bores me. It's Mm -hmm. a bit of a dead zone for me. But actually, you know, this time when we're watching it and paying more attention and seeing how it fits and how it's explaining to Maddie, it's kind of an important scene where it's like Maddie's learning more about magic and like, can all tricks be explained? You know, she's kind of questioning it, like things herself, you know? And then he's also saying, even in magic, not everything can be explained. I understood the scene a little bit more, I guess, this time watching it. Usually, Abby Cadabra creeps me out a little bit. <laughs> Wish I had a penny for every time I've heard that. <laughs> well, no, I, I, just, think, I think he's supposed yeah. to in a way because he's a magician. Yeah. So they're yeah. a little bit eccentric. They're different. They have different thoughts. They have a different belief system than most people. And they know a lot of the secrets. So that's why he was confident that, I'm sorry, love, but that guy was alive. He got out, <laughs> you know. Anyway. Yeah. Yes, it's an important scene. I meant to mention before, actually, in this episode, we get a lot of Maddie and David together, side by side. And this, I guess, you know, for me, it's always, let's get Maddie and David back together. So, I mean, for most of us. So when she's talking to Abby Cadabra, it's like, oh, well, David was there too, but. Nonetheless, it was an important scene for Maddie, I guess, because Maddie needed that information. Yeah. I just like how she went out on her own and did some research. Yeah. Because she knew that David had a different thought process on the whole thing. So she thought, no, I'm going to go out on my own, find out what a magician's point of view is on this matter. Good. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I appreciate the scene more this time, (laughs) I will say, even though I am creeped out a little bit by Abby Cadaver. Oh, poor Abby. (laughs) He's just a poor old guy, poor old magician. He's sitting there with his little magnifying glass trying to work out something. And uh, here comes beautiful Sybil, beautiful Maddie. He's like so happy to have a visit. Yeah, that's right. So we're back at Blue Moon and Maddie walks out of the elevator, but no feet. Yeah. And she walks into Blue Moon and Agnes is reading the paper, not paying much attention to Miss Hayes at all. 
And she asks if David is in and Agnes tells her that he is at lunch. All she says is, under her breath, as soon as he's back, send him into my office, but I don't want to be disturbed. She looks up too late when Maddie's already shut the door to tell her something. And then David enters and says, is she in yet? And Agnes says, yes, but, but he runs straight past her and goes into Maddie's office and slams the door open. Okay. Answer something for me, will you? Oh, is that what he says? I thought you were asking me something. Um, I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah. The thing I wanted to say about this is, yes, Agnes is trying to talk to both of them. Both of them brush her off. But when he does walk into Maddie's office and he slams the door open, you can see Agnes, or it might even be like Agnes's double, sitting in the background in the office with the paper in front of her. But, you know, for the whole scene, the whole time they're talking, she's just sitting at her desk with the paper. She's not trying to come in. You know, it seems like normally Agnes would be like, but Miss Hayes, but Mr. Addison, but Miss Hayes, Mr. Addison, you know, and she just sits at the desk reading that paper and finally tells Maddie later. But it's just funny that she was already trying to tell both of them, both ignored her, but the door was open. You can see Agnes sitting back there, but she's not coming towards them. Yeah. So she had the opportunity to come in and tell them, but she didn't. Yeah. But then again, David did say to her. she in yet? Yes, but. Because he had something to talk about. So maybe. She's just obeying her boss. Yep, maybe. So he says, Answer something for me, will you? Fine, answer something for me. Shoot. I wish I could. I wish I could. It's so funny. Yeah. So this scene is similar to knowing her about the dead body. So it, the thing is, though, in this scene, this is the second time that David sees a body and mistaken whether it's dead or not. In knowing her, he didn't notice that Harlan Armstrong was already dead, but here he hasn't noticed that he was actually alive. <laughs> true oh my god it's the opposite of knowing her that's so funny david addison you are an idiot exactly you can now go to coffee.com slash moonlighting the podcast that's ko-fi.com slash moonlighting the podcast and buy yourself a door slam yes that's right a door slam some devoted moonlighting fans have contacted us since we began this project to find out how they can support us As you are well aware, Shauna and I do this with great joy and we have so much fun creating this podcast every week and interacting with you guys on social media and via our fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com email. So we would be ever so grateful for any small donation that you can make. Maddie would be proud. She says, was the great Kandinsky dead when you looked at him in his coffin? This butterfly is a picket fence. (laughs) That's the thing I was going to say about the last scene also. She says a couple times, no, but my partner saw it and he says he was dead. She really has to also trust in David. And she does trust that David saw a dead body. She trusts that. So she does trust David. But and now she's asking him again. So I think that's kind of interesting. It's all about believing in the unseen. Yep. And she's really got to be in her bonnet about finding this body and says, I wish I could find that body. Lord. (laughs) She says, Lord. That's not usually a word she would say. I know it's an opening for his next sentence, but she sits there and says, Lord, which it's not usually in her vocabulary, which brings me to my question. Lord, which brings me to my question about what we were discussing last night. God, there you go. What did he ever do to you? Now, in this couple of cuts, did you notice when David walks in, the chairs are strategically placed in the room where they're not normally placed. Oh, really? I did because not notice. 
Because in the scene where they're sitting together side by side and he's saying, what did he do to you? Did you notice the chairs are are far away from the desk? Farther away than they normally would be. Yeah. So they're already strategically placed for when he walks in so they don't have to move the chairs. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Yeah. So she can push him down into it. Then she can sit and he can roll over to her. And then, yep, they had a whole blocking thing going on there, didn't they? Yeah. (laughs) So Maddie starts to walk out to go to the coroner's office again. But David says, you didn't sleep a wink last night, tossing and turning. He's been worrying about her soul. And she's like, my soul's fine. Both of them. Now, by this stage, they're at the door of um, the front of Blue Moon. And it's great timing to the door. And that's when we get the great comedic timing at the front door with him blocking her, as he always does, and her trying to open the door. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And how many door slams, Grace? Um, in this particular scene, it's five door slams. Wow. We get some nose to nose. We get him blocking her <laughs> door slams and all of the, yeah, it's great. It's another classic scene. Anytime there's a montage of moonlighting, you're going to get the flying fig and you're going to get this. And you get this one as well. Keep it up or I'll give it to you. I don't get it. Keep this up and I'll give it to you. I mean, if anyone anywhere ever had a reason not only to believe, but to be thankful. I mean, he's giving you beauty. He's giving you brains. He's giving you me. Allison, let me out of this door. (laughs) And her flying to the ground. Oh, my God. Addison, let me out of this door. And she falls backwards onto the (laughs) ground. And uh... see what happens when you take off the big guy. (laughs) Or when he says. Maybe you'd like to rethink your position, although actually this is rather an interesting position. And this is something you've mentioned before when Maddie says, keep your hands off me, because he tries to help her up. And Mm -hmm. he says, be careful what you wish for. It might come true. I know. It reminded me that um, be careful what you wish for. I guess it was what flashed in my mind was uh, it's the line from Somewhere Under the Rainbow where he says, think too much and it'll all go away. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that kind of sentiment. Yeah, yeah. He's being, he's being more snarky here, but yeah. yeah. A goof I noticed in this scene was that when he mm. leans down yeah. to help her up, he's got his pinky ring on. Uh huh. But then the hand that tries to pick her up doesn't. Mm. Interesting. I would love to know the history of that pinky ring, you know, why he wears it in the season, who gave it to him, <laughs> or was it a choice for the character? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was just fashion. So Agnes is still trying to get her attention to let her know what's in today's paper. But Maddie wants to go out and find Kandinsky's body, dead or alive. And, of course, he's standing next to Jurgensen. He says, It'd be easier to do if you're alive. <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, and it kind of nudges them, you know. He's really kind of trying to poke her. Yeah. Poke the bear. And Agnes shows her the paper. It says, dead magician robs jeweler and dies in fall. And David says it's an interesting development. Mm -hmm. So now the plot twists again. What the hell's going on? (laughs) He's died again. Oh, I know. Yeah. So he was alive. Yeah. So we keep kind of going back and forth on that. And so not only was he a magician and escape artist, he's also a jewel thief. Another jewel thief like we had in the pilot. I know. I thought about that when I saw those diamonds. Uh, So he's a murderer and a thief and a master manipulator. He was a lot of things. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention when uh, Mrs. Kandensky in the very beginning comes in and she says very few magicians pull off this sort of thing, especially the elderly. And I was like, elderly, like question mark, because 
these two, I wouldn't put in the category of elderly, you know what I mean? And this guy is pulling off all this stuff as an elderly man. I mean, elderly, we think of, you know, 80 year olds, I guess, but he yeah, did, 80 he or 90 like maybe between 50 and 60 maybe I yeah that's what I think yeah they're both in their 50s and you know back in that day I think people were considered more elderly or something yeah I had to laugh at that but anyway yeah so Maddie and David are off together you know because of this latest development and there's a press conference with the coroner Dr. Neely talking about the connection between Mrs. Kendinsky's death and this and everything he knows thus far He's talking to the reporters and telling them a cock and bull story about Kandinsky, how he tried to burgle a jeweler and slipped and fell down seven floors to his death with the diamonds falling down the drain. Gee, that was convenient. And that he was an experienced acrobat and magician. So he's blaming one of his 11 examiners for falsifying the autopsy report and death Mm -hmm. certificate. But this part I don't get because he told Maddie and David that he actually did the autopsy. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. He's Um, contradicting himself. Yeah. But he's saying there'll be a thorough investigation. And this tiny little reporter asks Dr. Neely, are we looking at a possible connection between Kandinsky's falsified death and that of his wife? And this young lady is Hetty Hertz. She's well known for The Terminator in 1984 and Throw Mama from the Train in 1987 and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes in 2014. I'm just trying to see what she was in The Terminator, 1984. Oh, now, one thing I noticed about this actress is that a lot of her roles, she is an anchor woman or a TV reporter. Okay, yeah. She looks like that type, you know. Yes. So in The the Terminator, she was a TV anchor woman. Okay. Yeah, she was a reporter in Moonlighting. Mm. She's a reporter in MacGyver, in Throw Mama from the Train. She's a newswoman Uh in Highway to Heaven. She's a radio announcer. Yeah. 90% of her roles, she is a TV reporter or a voice. That's funny. But anyway, okay. that's um, Hetty Hertz. Gorgeous, tiny little thing. Oh. She looks shorter than me. And that's saying something. Say, is, that, is that how tall you would look in uh, Grace? <laughs> <laughs> that's how short I'd look next to J.A. Preston. Uh-huh. Let yeah, me exactly. see. Actually, it'll tell me how tall he is. Yeah, J.A. Preston, six foot two. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah, that's well, how short I'd look next to him. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah, definitely, yes. But I make a habit of not standing next to tall people. I don't make a habit of that at all. <laughs> In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. 
this little reporter then walks off, the camera follows her, and then she walks in front of Maddie and David, which begins their scene. What I thought of about this scene is that if they had so many cuts, there were so many people in the background that had to stay there to do it. Mm-hmm. Because True. as they're walking up the corridor, if they stuffed up their words, they would have had to start all over again from when the reporter left the coroner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep, totally. So everybody's like milling around in the background. Swarmy uh, coroner's assistant stops them and gives them some information. <laughs> I can't get over this guy because he's so perfect for this part. It's just great, great casting. Yeah. Because he's a little creepy guy, got a bit of info, you know. Yeah. And did you notice that he talks like a ventriloquist? He doesn't move his mouth <laughs> when he's talking. Yeah, he's quirky. That's for sure. Before they meet up with this guy, though, they're having a chat about how he faked his own death so that he was able to murder and steal. And David is now thinking the only thing left now is to figure out which one of these biomages was in cahoots with him which isn't our problem, which is right. So could have just left it at that and forgotten about the whole thing because now it's a district attorney's problem now to worry about who killed who. It doesn't involve Blue Moon anymore. Yeah. But then they meet up with this little assistant coroner and he says, either of you got a match? And David looks around (laughs) and goes, Marie Osmond and Billy Graham. (laughs) (laughs) Who I guess were a couple before? No, no. No? No. <laughs> no way. Is Billy Graham a preacher or something? Yeah, they're both religious. Like Marie Osmond, yeah, all the Osmonds were Mormon. A Mormon. Okay. Um, but I don't know what Billy Graham, I don't know what Billy Graham was, but but no, he would have been too old for her. Okay. Well, I don't get the reference then. Oh, probably because they're just both religious people. Both religious. Okay. Let's have a look. Um, Billy Graham was born in 1918, so... Okay. <laughs> yeah. So no, I thought no, he would have been too old for her. So okay. and Marie Osmond just, was born in 1959. A religious match. I'm just trying to see what. Yeah, he was an evangelist. So he's putting them together as opposites attract, I guess, opposite religions. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one. I just thought it was funny. No, that's funny. Um, I, like it. I just love the literal translation in Glenn's writing. It's not something you would oh. ever think of replying to someone when somebody says to you, have you got a match? I know. I know. Not, not as in, that. do you have a matchmaker? <laughs> <laughs> or do you have a match to light my cigarette or that kind of thing? Exactly. You know? um, this scene, a lot of single shots. A lot of single shots. Anyway, he gives him the match and the guy says, Boy, is this going to be a fun place to work until they find that guy? So David says, who are you picking in the exactor? Beats me. But you know what I don't understand? And Maddie just looks at him and he says, what, you understood those? Yeah, you understood those? Yeah. I know I never understood them. (laughs) Anyway, um, this is where the plot is uncovering now a few little twists that he says that Carolyn Kandinsky was at the coroner's office three hours earlier and she was not drunk Mm -hmm. at all. Yet the autopsy says that she was and that she knew nearly. Yeah. And there's a funny bit here up and back when, you know, he says. She came in D-O-A, D-W-I. Eh? No, D-O-A. Oh. She was also D-W-I. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting little back and forth. It's like they're saying things at the same time, like day. Oh, ah, 
Oh, you know, oh, yeah. The timing oh, oh. on it again is like, <laughs> it's such a short little scene, but there's so much timing again, that cliff diving, you know? Yeah. He says when she was in earlier, she seemed stone cold sober to me. And she goes, Hmm, Hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, so there's only three cuts with all three of them in the same cut. Yeah. The rest are all single shots. It also brings up that question earlier, like, why did she come in as a Jane Doe when she was talking to the coroner three hours earlier? Obviously, he was trying to delay Mm. any investigation into her death. And yeah, so this is all like tied together. Yeah. And that's what Maddie says in the next car scene, that how could he not recognize her? Yeah. How could he not recognize somebody who's just spoke to him three hours earlier? Exactly. She's wondering why Carolyn would go and see Neely once she found out her husband's body had disappeared from the coffin. Yeah. Yeah, this is an interesting conversation where they have this dialogue where as she's talking, she's worked out, hang on, this coroner is not who they think he is. So she works out the coroner is the one behind the whole thing. And she says, Mrs. Kandinsky upset Neely and not the other way around, so he killed her. Right. When Maddie says that he, she doesn't understand how we wouldn't recognize her from three hours earlier. Take it from a guy who knows. Some people look different laying down and they do sitting up. <laughs> David. Not, not things <laughs> Maddie wants to hear. <laughs> and, of course, Maddie says, No one could second-guess him. He's the coroner. And if anyone did suspect murder... Then David says the most likely suspect would be her not-so-late husband. And that's when they decide to turn the car around. So I just like how, as they're talking about this, they uncover the plot yes now i'm turning this car around i'm turning the car Let's around turn this car around wait a second do we need 30 guys to spin the road and one guy to hold the car <laughs> is he talking about the crew i think it's just a joke like instead of turning the car around we turn the road you know just a joke, <laughs> just, a joke. just like dumb david kind of a dumb david joke in a way oh my god and by the way civil looks so beautiful in this uh i mean in this episode in general and you know how we say they always look so different from episode to episode. Neither of them look so different from Bride of Tupperman. But this night driving scene, her hair is like maybe a little bit more not so sleek, mm. a little bit more natural. I don't know. She looks really pretty there. And she always looks pretty, but you know. Yeah, I must admit in this whole episode, she does look beautiful. She's not looking tired. Yeah, she's not looking tired. She's just kind of looks classic, classic Maddie Hayes with the hair kind of really a nice wave by her face. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So they're back at the coroner's office and assistant coroner number two comes mm-hmm. into Neely's office. Now, this guy, his name is David Elsey, mm-hmm. um, doesn't look like he did a lot of acting, but he used to be a professional mime in the Dallas, Texas area in the late 70s. He actually looks like one too. <laughs> How funny. <laughs> you can just imagine him dressed up with a white paint on his face and everything. The few things that he did, he was a pianist in Dallas from 78 to 81. He was in Knott's Landing and he was a ghoul in Child's Play 3, 1991. Good old Chucky. So that's um, David Elsie. Yeah, so he's come in to tell him that they've closed up but nearly wants to stay longer because he has something he has to do. So Mm -hmm. he collects all these belongings. It looks like he's going to skip the country because he's taking his frames looks like he takes a frame of his daughter or something and and then he gets a small purse out of his drawer with the diamonds in it. I wouldn't have thought that would have been a safe place to keep it, but anyway. And this is when we realise that he's really the bad guy who killed Kandinsky for the diamonds and made both murders look like an accident. Do you think this scene is a little bit too long? I reckon the episode was too short, so they 
life kit. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's like him getting out the envelope, opening the envelope, looking at the time. And yeah, it's like every detail. Glenn did say if the episode was too short, he'd put that cold open on with Sybil and Bruce and he put one of those. So maybe it was mm. a bit short all the way around, you know, so they dragged out one scene, had them film a scene for the beginning, you know, and things like that. They've got him putting the frames in his bag. Then he opens the jaw. Then he looks at the jaws, folds them back up again. Then he gets mm. up, grabs his bag, goes out mm-hmm. the door. Then they show him leaving the office, shutting the door and walking off. It's like, what? <laughs> I know every single detail of what the guy's doing in the office. We see every single piece. Yeah, you're right. It's too long. Mm. They stretched it. Maybe building a little suspense. That's possible too. The viewers are probably wondering what's going to happen with this guy. How are they going to get him? Because yeah. he's already leaving and they don't know that Maddie and David are already there. So it's a little shock for the audience. He walks past the morgue drawers and Maddie pops out. Were you going somewhere, Dr. Neely? Now, first of all, if you're in one of those, there's no little handle on the inside to open the drawer. Let's just make that clear. <laughs> yeah. But it's very funny. It's very funny. He realises that they're onto him and while she's not looking... He grabs the biggest syringe I have ever seen in my life. Exactly. That's what I, and it's like loaded and ready to go. You know, this huge <laughs> syringe loaded and ready to go with what? what, what does he have in there? You know, oh just, he just like, as soon as Maddie pops out of the drawer, he, boom, he grabs it. It's ready. Mm. Boom. Mm. It's like, okay, right. And this scene, I get anxiety because she keeps turning away from him. I'm like, what are you turning Uh, away from him for? She's going, David, David, you know, where are you? Yeah. This is one of those scenes that, as Glenn said, there's no jeopardy. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) We know. We know they're going to be fine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, nothing's going to happen. And it's just one of these silly scenes in like action movies where they talk and talk and talk. It's like, just kill her. If you want to get rid of her, just kill her, you know, just get rid of her because you have a lot at stake. You have these diamonds, you have murder on your hands, this whole thing that you've put together. If you kill her, then you can get out of there, you know, but, oh, they just talk and they talk and explain the plot. And he just holds the thing behind his back and walks towards her, but never does anything. And then of course, the other part is David slams open the door, like you said, with a bullseye, knocks him in the head. He falls down, but they never check if he's out cold, dead or whatever. They just start talking. <laughs> they don't even know if he's like going to pop out with a syringe or what, you know what I mean? So they haven't even checked anything. And they're just like, David, what took you so long? <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny. So funny. Come join our Facebook community at Fans of Moonlighting the Podcast and our Instagram community at Moonlighting the Podcast. And, of course, while this is all happening and David's not out yet, we have the killer, of course, as in every episode. The killer explains why they've killed. Exactly. The reasons behind why. So he begins to tell her that Kandinsky came to him to fake his death, wanted to pull off the greatest trick of all time, And he said, not for all the tea in China. But then he came up with half the jewels in LA, which I think that's a slight exaggeration. But anyway, Um, the whole thing would have worked too if Carolyn hadn't have realized that her husband wasn't really dead. So he injected her with alcohol. So this happens while she's opening drawers and it's not David. So she keeps opening these drawers. And what I noticed too, another goof, is the first drawer that she opens, there's nothing in it. But then the side view, all of a sudden there's a body. (laughs) 
Maddie realizes that he killed Kandinsky and you made sure he fell during the burglary. And that's when David opens the drawer in a timely manner, right in the right place, slams into Neely's face, which is a bullseye. And I love how he laughs. It's a bullseye and he laughs his head off. Bullseye! <laughs> yeah, I know. And she's like, what took you so long? I'm sorry. I was having a terrific conversation with a couple of boys back here. Matter of fact, we're thinking of going to see a dead concert. You want to come? <laughs> I know. I know. I like that. That's cute. Great. And that's the end of the scene, just them looking at each other. So good. Yeah. And one of my favorite scenes is the, the end tag here. Do you remember when I told you sometimes I would do a listening lesson in my class and I would use some dialogue from Moonlighting? Yes. Yep. And I use the car scene from Twas and then I use this one. Oh, do you? Oh, that's great. Yeah. This is a good one because it's just real clear, like back and forth dialogue. So, yeah. One of my favorite scenes. But what do we notice now, Grace? They're not even there together. No, they're not. Just single. Which is, I know, it's, yes, it's so clearly they're not there together. You never get one shot of them, you know, in the same room. But my God, I mean, just the looks they throw at each other still. There's so much chemistry in this scene. Yeah, it's still extremely convincing. You wouldn't even yes. know it if you weren't really paying attention. I find this a very quiet, calm, sweet scene. And oh, yeah. she's, she's on her calculator again. And he's talking to her sweetly and calmly. Don't you ever get scared, worried about being here alone? And she says no. And he goes to leave. And Maddie sneezes. And he says, God bless you, without opening his mouth. How did he do that, Shauna? <laughs> Definitely dub- dubbed over. I, yes, I know, I've noticed that before. Really sweet. I just love this scene that everything about, like you said, just quiet, calm, sweet. We find out he prays for her and stuff like that. Now, I think this scene is a really good example. You know, Bruce and Sibyl are in interviews and they're always asking them about chemistry. And they're always trying to explain the chemistry on the show comes from what Sybil does and what I do. We just are acting like Bruce says that. Or they both just kind of say that, like the chemistry is between the actor and actress. You can't act it, but it's just it just kind of appears once we've each done our role. And I think what they're trying to say is, even if we're there or not, Sybil does what she does and I do what I do. And then the chemistry comes from that. Not necessarily that they're in the same room and that chemistry is bouncing off each other. I think this is a good example of what they're talking about when they say that. The looks that they throw, the way they deliver the lines, you know, how it's sweet. It's almost like, you know, they're just imagining the other person is there and how they would talk to them if they really were in that room together. And that chemistry is still just pops all over the place. Yeah, it just goes to show the high level of acting that they both had. Both of them had a great way of visualizing that person in the room. Yes. Or as you've said in another episode where he would watch her Mm -hmm. do something and then respond to that when he did his side. Yeah. And Sybil's really good in this scene. You kind of see it. She kind of throws that like kind of pouty, like something very like seductive about the way that she looks at him and, you know, is looking in the scene at him and delivering the lines. But yeah, I mean, it still like puts the question out there. Where does the chemistry come from? Because if they're not even in the same room together, it's not bouncing off the walls between them. You know, it's the best way to describe it is just what Bruce said. And, you know, so it comes from what Sybil, Sybil does and what he does. And it just kind of creates from that. So quite simply great acting. Yeah, it's just great acting. But then the people will say like, but you can't act chemistry. So it is something between them because two other people could say these same lines and you wouldn't get all the chemistry, you know? 
That's right. And that's why they were made for each other. These two were meant to come together, Bruce and Sybil. Yeah. It was just yes, for this. kismet. <laughs> yes. The chemistry came from what each of them did, whatever that was, and whether they were in the same room or not. I think this scene is the perfect example of that. So he goes to walk out and she sort of calls him back and, and says, by the way, it's crossed my mind. And mm-hmm. David says, you don't have to do that. Now, mm-hmm. can I just say, how freaking handsome does he look in this double-breasted suit? Uh, yes. Another thing I was going to say, both of them, but him here, he looks so good. Bruce is really coming into himself. I mean, the suit, the smirk, the look, the smiles, the cheekbones, I don't know, everything, everything. <laughs> when you look at him from the pilot to now, it's like a completely different person. What a transformation gosh we'll then get into season three and season four and season five and you're like whoa <laughs> like season four he's like top 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 you know height of handsomeness but you're right like he starts off kind of goofy so yeah from the pilot to now like right now he just looks so good so maddie says it's in a sweet way i don't want you losing any more sleep over me <laughs> believe me if and when i ever find myself over you the last thing i'll be thinking about is sleeping besides you're already covered I put a good word in for you myself. <laughs> That's cute. You did. Now, she says the same when she says you did, and he goes, no big deal. And Maddie goes, are you saying you prayed for me? You know when she goes, for me? Oh, what was it? Was it in, um, I think she does it in the next murder you hear. I'd have to go back and check. But I love what? it when she goes, for me? <laughs> for me? Oh, yeah. Where does she say that? Mm. Um I'd have to go back and look at our episodes, but yeah, I love it. Actually, no, you know when it was, Shauna? It was in David's office when he offered to stay downstairs in the car park while she went up to the restaurant and had dinner with Farley Rye. And she said, you would do that for me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it was from Gunfight. Oh, yeah, Um, super sweet. Now David thinks that she's making fun of him. I never had a guy pray for me before. I never had a guy pray for me before. What are you doing? You making fun of me? I'm not making fun of you. Well, don't. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. David just wanted her to know people need to decide for themselves. I just thought as long as I had the big guy's ear, mm-hmm. and of course she appreciates that. So it's, I like this sweet scene. They look at each other really lovingly, and Aww. it's just really sweet. And he goes to leave, and he asks her if she wants the door open or closed, and he blows her a kiss and leaves. Okay, so when he says open or close and she says open, open, (laughs) don't you think this is, you know, like my mind is open, my heart is open. Are you saying this is an innuendo? (laughs) I'm saying this is a foreshadowing. There's an underlying message. Mm. Yeah, she holds his eyes like open and he kind of pauses like, oh, is there something more to that? And then, yeah, he, he does the two-fingered kiss, which is one of David Addison's little attributes. She's staring after him. She looks like she's in love. And then she runs after him. Like, yeah, just it's... jump him, Maddie. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it reminds me of when he says open or close, when he says in the, what episode was that? When he says thighs part. Oh, yeah. The thighs part. Then Maddie has the realization that, oh my God, I think I'm afraid all by myself here in the office. And she runs after him and David, I think I'll walk down with you. And she runs mm-hmm. out. It's a freeze frame. David, I think I'll walk down with you. David. 
Yeah, freeze frame, which we haven't had in a while, have we? Um, no, there's a few. Like Tupperman was a freeze frame. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah there's a few. So great episode okay. with another great intro with Maddie and David. No 3D TV program. The return of the beige suit. It's Maddie's birthday. A deceitful escape artist and magician. An even more deceitful coroner. Maddie and David guard a so-called dead body. Maddie agrees to take the case. Maddie and David sleep together. More car scenes. Two gruesome murders. A man who ceased to be deceased. Things happening that are beyond explanation. A Jane Doe. A God-believing David. An atheist Maddie. David wears a grey jumper. <laughs> I'm obsessed with this grey jumper. Maddie visits Abby Cadabra. Butterflies and a picket fence. David didn't sleep a wink last night tossing and turning. Maddie ticks off the big guy. David likes her position. A tiny <laughs> reporter. A press conference. David's match is Marie Osmond and Billy Graham. David admitting he doesn't understand logarithms. DOA and DWI. David revealing that some people look different laying down than they do sitting up. A bag of diamonds. Maddie lying in morgue drawers. The largest syringe I have ever seen. David makes a bullseye. David inviting Maddie to a dead concert. And finally, David putting in a good word in for Maddie with the big guy. And a sweet kiss. And a sweet kiss. I just wish it wasn't a blown kiss. I know. We want a real kiss. That's we want a real doozy, baby. <laughs> we sure do. And lots of uh, repeated lines like, you rang and I'm all ears. And yeah, I liked your rundown anyway. It was a good episode, pretty good plot, a lot of philosophical lines and themes in it. We find out what their beliefs are and Maddie getting a bee in her bonnet about finding the body and she's really getting deep into her detective role now. Yeah, Maddie's coming to her own. She's become a hell of a detective, as David says later. So how many before. door slams did you get? I got seven. There were seven door slams. Outfit changes. I got three. Oh, I got four. Or four. Yeah, you're right, four. Okay. So in the intro, she has the beige suit. When they're guarding the body, she has a white suit. When she sees Abby, it's a long yellow jacket. And then mm -hmm. the outro, she has that baby blue suit. The music featured is a skeleton dance. The song that I don't understand, which we're not quite sure if anybody can help us out with that one. And mm -hmm. they say it's your birthday by the Beatles. No Agnes rhyme. We did have singing Bruce and no feet out of the elevator. However, Maddie does walk out of the elevator. So yes. the moonlighting stats so far, 61 door slams, 10 feet coming out of the elevator. We have 13.5 rhymes from Agnes and we had four outfit changes. Okay. Well, so that's pretty good. We got 61 door slams already up to season two, episode 13. Great. It's hmm. a lot. And they started late. So it is a lot. The most door slams was um, My Fair David with 14. Yeah. So is this episode in your top 10, Shauna? It is not. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? No, it's not in my top 10. No. Although I do love watching this episode. I love the twists and turns. I love yeah. all the guest stars in it. And I know you're not crazy about it, but I love Abby Cadabra. <laughs> I love the cold open. 
but unfortunately it's not in my top 10 because there's too many episodes at a bit more high level than this one. So good episode nonetheless, but not in the top 10. Good solid episode, but yeah, not top 10 material. It's now time for Moonlight Mail. We received an email from Steve H. We actually received two because I replied to him and then he sent another one. Uh, Good morning, ladies. I'm a bit behind on the podcasts, but just wanted to speculate that Atlas Belched title is probably a reference to the famous book by Ayn Rand called Atlas Shrugged, but I don't know its plot nor how it might relate to the episode's plot. Sincerely, Steve. So then I replied to him because, yes, we received several emails and messages regarding what the reference was to. Then he replied and says, I'll add this, that I've been meaning to send to you guys as I've been listening, but haven't gotten around to it. I was a huge Moonlighting fan from 1985 on. A huge part of me was the David Addison character. I was 15, a very shy, quiet, smart kid in a world where cool jocks ruled the high school. So I thought I was a nobody and struggled to find my place. What I saw in Bruce's character was a style, charisma and wittiness that seemed like a possible and alternative path that might work for me. What I lacked in size and athletic ability, maybe I could find a place in social circles attempting to be cool and clever like David was. I never came anywhere close to being that cool, but it gave me the first few steps towards being less shy and finding my own way into the world. So I owe a lot to Bruce and Glenn and everyone who worked on the show for that. Something specific I remember was that I had and played a little harmonica before Moonlighting, but seeing Bruce play it on the show made it cool all of a sudden. So when we were having a slow day in German class, and it must have been shortly after My Fair David aired, the teacher allowed us to do a limbo contest and I provided the music by playing limbo rock on my harmonica. For a short moment in time, I contributed something good and was at least sort of cool. (laughs) I should also mention Bruce related. His return of Bruno cassette was on steady rotation, driving a few of us boys to and from golf practice in the fall of 1987 was a great soundtrack for my teenage years. I loved his second record too, although the girl at the Cool College record store rolled her eyes at me as I was buying it. (laughs) Oh, that's mean. Thanks for the podcast and keep up the great work. Steve from Ohio. Thank you, Steve. How's that for great memories, Shauna? I love that email. That's a good one. From a, a guy, you know, it's nice to get a guy's perspective on Moonlighting because we hear a lot from our women listeners, mm. you know, but I love hearing from our male. It sounds like David and Bruce helped a lot of men through their puberty. Yes, by giving them kind of a different kind of role model. Yeah. Because he wasn't your typical man on television at the no, time. No, he wasn't. No. And it, he's given a lot of boys at the time a lot of confidence to do what yeah. they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great. Thank you, Steve, for a great email. Yeah, thanks, Steve. That was great. Thanks for taking the time to write a quite detailed email of your thoughts. Yes. And also, I recently received a message from Kitty. Hi, Grace. I just wanted to let you know I'm loving the Moonlighting podcast that I discovered last week. I was 16 when the show came out and I just loved it. I'm 50 now and love it just as much. Have re-watched over the years, but so pleased others are still passionate about it. Thanks, Kitty. That's great. That was a lovely message from Kitty. She messaged me on Instagram. So what's next week's episode, Shauna? Next week's episode is season two, episode 14. And this is the second time we've recorded the podcast as a live event. 
It's a great episode to have as a live event. There'll be a lot of comments and thoughts on the episode from our Moonlighting fans. Tune in next week for the second live Zoom event for Every Daughter's Father is a Virgin. A lot happens in that episode when we meet Maddie's family and the evolution of Maddie and David's relationship. Tune in to hear our second live event. We'll see you there. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting the Podcast. Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.